The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is, of course, uh, one of my favorite boxing writers out there and thinkers, uh, Mr. Bryn Jonathan Butler. Bryn and I did a look ahead to uh, 2020. Uh, we tried to look at uh, the heavyweights through the bantamweights. Um, I think if we'd gone any further down, uh, it would have been about a three-hour podcast. So we uh, stopped at the bantamweights, but um, definitely took a, a hard look you know, at, at, at each division and what we expected in 2020 and uh, what are the best matchups and uh, what we hope will happen. And uh, it was a very, very lively uh, conversation. And uh, really hope you enjoy. Once again, I'm here with my good friend, uh, Bryn Jonathan Butler. And definitely check out his uh, podcast, Tourist Information. Um, awesome, awesome podcast where he's got some very deep thinkers and, and great people talking about uh, boxing and, and a lot of other things. Um, Bryn, great to have you. Thank you. Back again? Yes. It, it's hard for me to be on here as a competitor. Our friendship is being strained. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all part of the ring the ring podcast family, so it's it's all good, man. It's all good. There's no no competition here, not at all. We're know. we're pretending it's good, but it's, it's cutthroat. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I got a better podcast. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. We are looking ahead. We are getting the crystal ball out. We are looking into 2020, uh, maybe taking it division by division, maybe not every division, but uh, most of the divisions, the divisions we give a shit about, and, uh, and uh, you know, what we're hoping is going to happen, what we think is going to happen, and, uh, you know, just speculating the shit out of this, but looking ahead mm. to 2020, the heavyweight division... Um, obviously, you know, you got the three major players right now, you know, Fury, Wilder. We are expecting that Wilder and Fury, the, the talk is they're going to fight twice. God. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have to think, though, that if that first fight, like, like, let's say, hypothetically, Fury wins all 12 rounds and Wilder doesn't hit, hit him in the ass during the fight. Are we, are we really going to get a third fucking Wilder-Fury fight out of that or... Or are they going to, like, you know, let, let that third fight marinate a little bit? It's very <laughs> odd that they would, yeah, I mean, especially given Wilder's, you know, explosive punching power, that, like, what that could do to Fury, given that Fury coming back right. to sort of have the first fight that he put on was a miracle. Right. We're talking about it as one of the great comebacks of the last, right. you right. know, of the 21st century. Um, you know, it might have been kind of a one-off that he's capable of that kind of performance. Given yeah, I guess, he, yeah, flip it. Let's say now Wilder has Fury's rhythm down and gets him in his sights and blows him out in like 30 seconds. Yeah, then what? Yeah, yeah. are we going to really see Wilder Fury 3? Yeah, mean? if he Michael Spanks him. <laughs> right, exactly. Then it would be like, uh, okay, what you? well, we're desperate to see the rubber match. <laughs> exactly. No, I don't think so. So it's, it's very odd to hear that... that yeah, before we know, I mean, the first fight was very interesting. I think right. I think it presented us with 
you know, some of the best of Wilder, some of the worst of Wilder. Absolutely some of the worst of Wilder. You know. And, and there were a lot of rounds in that fight. I mean, I think most rounds were like single digits who handed punches. Oh, no. He it was, looked, not, it was not like a slugfest. Yeah, it was not a slugfest. And, and Fury looked relatively dominant in sort of controlling right. the action, uh, giving Wilder a world of problems. All those people who say, you know, Wilder's so limited, the footwork is abysmal. I found myself yelling at the screen at Deontay. I That's was very getting so pissed off, just like him winging shots just from way out, telegraphing the shots, like, the fuck are you doing, Deontay? No, I mean, just, just the footwork of Wilder. I mean, watching him spar in Tuscaloosa... Alabama, you know, spent a little time with him. I really liked him, and I mean, he is, I believe, absolutely. Dante's, I mean, great guy. you know, you know, save for things he said in interviews to kind of get attention. You meet him one on one; he's a really cool guy. He is, he yeah. is. But watching him spar was one of the most arresting, surreal experiences of my life covering boxing. Hmm. He demonstrated footwork that I have not seen that dexterity since being in like a nursing home. Watching somebody recovering from a stroke, pushing a walker. There are moments where Wilder, you're watching him where he makes George Foreman at his most lethargic look like Cassius Clay. Mm. It's just, Mm. what is happening? I've seen clowns on stilts walking with more fluidity than this guy strutting around a ring. You know, and it's, that's a little crazy, too, because he was a basketball player. I know. Basketball is a rhythm game. You would think, I mean, and listen, he has that athleticism and agility. Well, when he wants to close the ring, right. he closes it faster and right. more effectively with more leverage than any heavyweight I've ever seen when he right. un- unlocks that bazooka. Right. And I don't know how he does it. Right. But until he does it, as we've seen not just with Tyson Fury... But in both Ortiz fights, where he's losing round after round after round, almost gets knocked out by Ortiz, right. a 75-year-old Cuban <laughs> who was around not just for the you know Fidel Castro revolution, but was there. I thought I recognized him no, somewhere. No, there are some sketches. I mean, before photography right was really... Jay. Oh, well, hey, before that, he fought in the Cuban Revolution and the Spanish-American War in 1898. I mean, this is... You know, this is well documented. He's some, a veteran. He's yeah. a veteran. Some have estimated the sense of the word. Some have estimated that he was actually part of the Taino tribe when Columbus <laughs> arrived in in fourteen ninety. No, so the guy's been around the block. He's forty, but um, Wilder did not look good right. in, in either of those fights for right. most of those fights. Right. But as is the case, how did those fights finish? Is the sort of lasting image that that becomes. What, what our big takeaway is. Right. And I think, yeah, you can play it that way, but it could also be perhaps more instructive to look at what led us there, which is he's being outboxed, outworked by a 900-year-old Cuban, <laughs> you know, basically a totem pole, like just being sort of dragged around the ring. You know, not the most mobile, active, brilliant, Hall of Fame-bound Cuban elite fighter. It wasn't Teofilo Stevenson in 1972. <laughs> you know, it was a pretty good Cuban fighter. Well, he's a second, second, well, I wouldn't say second tier, but like but not far second off. banana. Yeah, said, like yeah. he was not like the first team Cuban no. amateur. I mean, he didn't go to the Olympics. No. Right. No. So as I say, it's not Felix Sabone knocking out David Tua in 30 seconds. It's not Stevenson trashing everybody. You know, it's a guy who was okay. 
It was wasn't he stopped by Povetkin in the end? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean he was he was not a brilliant amateur, and right. he's, and he's not really been a brilliant pro either. Right. But um, all this talk about him being the heavyweight boogeyman, <laughs> and Wilder knocked him out. Yeah, he did knock him out. And I give him full credit for that. But there were serious issues there, and I don't I don't have a sense that Wilder has a team, or that he has the ability to listen to a team. I mean, he has he has Mark Greenland. Right. Really a brilliant amateur, and I, I love Mark Breland as a person. He's a great guy. And style-wise, you think it's like a it's a great match because uh, you know Mark was a very tall welterweight. Yeah. who had a bazooka for a right hand as well. So yeah, yeah. And I, I would have thought that I asked Breland personally when you're looking at his ability relative to your ascent as a U.S. amateur. At what age were you capable of doing what he's doing now? As the most dominant American heavyweight. I think he said nine or ten years old. <laughs> and he wasn't saying it facetiously. He wasn't right. saying it arrogantly. Right. He was just making an honest assessment. These are the tools that the heavyweight champion is, is working with. Right. It's where Mark Breland was at, a standout amateur, right. at nine or ten years old. Right. And I don't know who would argue that when you watch what Wilder can do. He just happens to have boxing's answer to a fastball that is just unparalleled. Well, like Nolan Ryan type yeah, basketball. Just yeah, devastating. Jaw dropping. Yeah. Walk off. You know, <laughs> in, in, incredible. So it's it's odd that somebody's able to encompass such extremes dichotomously. Right. Like right. Wilder does, but he does. Right. So I think that's exciting. But I also think it's instructive that he's not able to sell tickets at this point mm. Mm. in a meaningful way, commensurate with somebody who knocks out everything right in front of them right and i'm not sure what the answer is i don't particularly like the person he presents himself to be as an attraction because i agree with you in person he's a very nice personable Absolutely. compelling guy uh i don't the whole bomb squad you know wwe style way of selling clearly is not working great and he's not 21 years old doing this right right you know right. he's a little older he's right. not luis ortiz old but but he's definitely <laughs> a little older and a guy like that overnight might slow down. He's been hit. When he gets hit, he looks shaky. Uh, you know, I don't know that he's vulnerable. Yeah. He's vulnerable. I don't know that Fury's the guy who's going to be able to knock him out. Right. But I think Fury definitely is the guy who could have a good night if he stayed in shape. If he's still improving from what he did the first time, could win every round. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we talked about this before, but yeah, like you know, the, the fact that they've marinated this stuff, it, one thing it's done, you know, it hasn't really built up anticipation. It's just kind of showed the vulnerability of all these fighters. You know, yeah, the more they, right. the less they have them fight each other. You know, Joshua gets knocked out. Fury, if Fury had been fighting in New York, they would have stopped that with a horrible cut with yep. Wallin. Yep. You know, Wilder loses six straight rounds to Ortiz before his right hand bails him out. Um, you know, I mean, fairness to Deontay, he probably had one of the knockouts of the year against Brazil before that. Sure. So, um, you know, of, of, of those three heavyweights, clearly he had the best 2019. But, um, you know, going into the new year, um, you know, these guys both have big networks behind them. They've got, you know, uh, and, and they really tried to push Fury like hell on ESPN they even got him that gig with the WWE to yeah. try and increase his visibility. I know with Wilder, they really tried to push him on Fox and, and get him on the shoulder programming, having him knock out mascots and all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. And I mean, Showtime put him on billions. And, you know, right, you know, they're right. Pushing him so they're pushing him. 
But, you know, and, 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 you know, we are in the prognostication game for, for this podcast. So mm-hmm. Bob Aram is saying that this pay-per-view is going to do two million buys. Yeah. Because of the big megaphones that Fox and ESPN have for pay-per-view. Now, thus far, the megaphones haven't exactly uh, brought about, you know, massive uh, pay-per-view buys. I think the best uh, of last year was, was uh, Pac Thurman, which was around half a million. Uh, which, you know, all in, that's a pretty anemic year when, when your best pay-per-view comes in around half a million. Um, but, you know, do you see this thing reaching the, 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 the lofty tomb? Do you even see it hitting one million? No. Fury Wilder too. No, I, 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 I probably see, I'd probably, I mean, I'd have to talk in to our, our mutual friend Evan Rutkowski about this one, but I mean, if it did 750, I would be kind of impressed. Right, right. I just don't feel that Wilder has... Which I think would be more than double what the first one did. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, the first one was... was I can't remember one. if it was 350 or 375. They, they, but yeah. It, it was bad, and I just don't know... I mean, we talked before about, you know, Andre Ward fighting Kovalev. Right. What the fuck is wrong with this guy <laughs> that you've got an Olympic champion, handsome guy, articulate... Uh, undefeated pro won the super six in his prime won the super six pound for pound great pound for pound number one fighting his most dangerous opponent of his career undefeated in his prime right uh, you know you don't get better than that like what's boxing what more can boxing do to showcase (laughs) a great fight when it should happen boom it happens does nothing right and yet, it's a great fight. It's super competitive. It has great drama. Ward is dropped. Right. Uh, it's controversial. Right. And so what happens in the rematch? Is there even more excitement? Oh, my God. Has Ward suddenly proved that he's marketable? Absolutely the opposite. <laughs> it does less numbers. Right, right. And I think that the first fight there was a lot more compelling than the first fight between Fury and Wilder. Mm. Personally, even right. though I, th- I thought... I, I watched it and thought Fury won. Uh, I thought by more than two rounds, I think maybe two to three rounds. I mean, was, I've watched it a couple times and I've oscillated a little. Um, I like the drama that Fury was dropped twice by huge shots. I love that he got up. I love the comeback story. But uh, I don't see a draw and what unfolded in that fight or, or what Wilder showcased against Ortiz really leading it to become must-see programming. Yeah, I mean it, that that it's interesting too because even the, in in the most recent like uh, high profile rematch that we saw on pay per view, which was uh, Canelo and Triple G did did two fights on pay per view, and the first one, I mean, it was a good fight. It wasn't like a super good fight, but it, it was, was it was very competitive. Absolutely, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. You know, I liked before. it. I liked yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And the second fight was even better. Yep. But they did around roughly the same amount of numbers. I mean, I can't remember if the second one actually came in a little lower than the first yeah. one. Um, it did a little over a million, but didn't really change that much. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm wondering with this, I mean, you know, you know, Fury had a hell of a time selling tickets in Vegas. Um, you know, you don't know what it did on ESPN Plus, but I don't think they did him any favors by putting on him on ESPN Plus. That no. certainly didn't raise his visibility. No. <laughs> I don't know how much the WWE really does for him. I don't I don't know if that translates into boxing pay-per-view buys. Maybe it does, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I I just I see it 
Yeah, like you said, I mean, 750 would be a real good number for this as, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if it can more than double up what it did the first time, I think that would be a coup. Because, I mean, if you look at what Deontay did in his second pay-per-view without Fury, um, you know, 275 I think was maybe, you know, an ambitious number yeah, for yeah. what it did. It might have done a little less than that. So, um, yeah. I'd probably place a ceiling at around 750, but I think more realistically, it's closer to half a million. Right, right. I think that's kind of a more realistic Because I don't like, 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 what's the... <laughs> Which isn't a bad number. No, it's not a bad number. For but... two guys who aren't, you know, pay-per-view proven stars here in the States. No, I mean, I think Wilder has sort of blown his load, unfortunate turn of phrase, but, <laughs> but, but blown his load as far as, like, we know who he is. Right. And it's not Mike Tyson. Right, right. You know, but not only is it not Mike Tyson, it's not Lennox Lewis. It's not mm. a lot of other guys that can make a pile of money. Right. You know, bomb squad. Okay, but it's it's just one note. Right. And the fights are not one note. Right. They're interesting. They're dynamic. There's right. vulnerability and there's this tremendous hammer he goes around turning people into nails, bashing them into the canvas. It's, But it's, I don't know why it's not more transcendent. Right for people, you know. What was I think it? It, it's it, maybe it's because he, he just doesn't combine it with skill level. It, it's Could just be. it's just that he's got that big eraser. You know, he doesn't wow you with anything else other than the fact that when he lands that right hand, people hit the deck. You know, I think there's truth to that, but I also think like I mean, who would be the heavyweight that you compare him to? Most obviously, of dominant heavyweights, George Foreman. Right. Right. You know. Great big guy, this tremendous power, but like everybody kind of laughs at the the limited skill level. Right. At least of the at least of the young foreman. Right. I think the old foreman we appreciate. There had been some changes there, and he was competitive in a lot of fights. He should not have been competitive in. Yeah, not with that body. Right? Not with that body. <laughs> at that age, yeah. But I mean, there was something there where it was absolutely must see. Maybe even more must see than young foreman. Right. Who was this phenom, wrecking ball, destroying people. We forget that he was actually an underdog when he won the title against Joe Frazier, but he yeah, was. Because yeah. like Deontay, he hadn't fought a lot of substantive fighters. And going he looked into crude. That. <laughs> yeah. He looked crude. He looked basic. He looked limited. And Joe Frazier was a Hall of Fame. He'd beat um, Ali. Beat Ali. And, you know, he's a complete <laughs> fighter. And look what he's done to, like, you know, his resume is filled with so much better fighters. And all of these guys are accused of being blown up. Right. That they're not legitimate. That it's, you know, marketing that they're manufactured. Um, but with Foreman, I just wonder, that was all true that people question his legitimacy as being a great heavyweight initially. They question his legitimacy when he came back. Right. But regardless, it was absolutely must-see television. Right. He was a bigger-than-life personality when he was a menacing, monosyllabic, taciturn, scary presence. Right, right. And then he was unbelievably compelling as this sweetheart fat guy <laughs> peddling shit right you know eating hamburgers eating hamburgers yours. but i mean you, <laughs> he was compelling if you saw him he was compelling if you heard him right. as a commentator right there's just something about him where he was just became a part of american life right and wilder i feel like is desperately trying to audition for that role no i also think he'll perform it what's that he's a boomer yeah, he's a boomer. He's a boomer, and, and you know that that's a big population. And, and if they're interested in your career, 
that's going to bring a lot of audience. <laughs> I think that's true. And, and, and you're right. You're right also that like an aspect of his marketing was to say you're not dead at 40. Right. You know, well, that's He was pretty, an inspirational he, boomer. Yeah, right, 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 right. He, he's representative and emblematic. There you and go. All boomers are still vital and, and, you know, for their second marriage, they deserve to have a younger woman or whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think that Wilder, I don't know what he represents. Mm. At this stage, mm. you know, he's a Southern fighter, but I don't feel like he's building up how he's born so close to where Joe Lewis was born and everything like, right. like Joe Lewis wasn't born in Detroit. Right. 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 You know, from Joe, Alabama, was, right. Joe Lewis is from Alabama, like right. very close right. to Deontay. And like when I did a profile about Wilder, I wrote a pretty hefty section about the connection between him and Joe Lewis. Right. Well, the editor removed it because he's just like, who cares? Well, wow, okay. well, really? Like, <laughs> who cares? I mean, especially like it was ESPN's undefeated. Well, that, for, that was the undefeated. Yeah, right? so like, you know, a, a, a website that ostensibly is trying to speak to, to an Afri- African-American audience. Right. You right. know, like, and I thought, well, don't you want to hear like his, the connective tissue between him and Alabama's, one of America's greatest champions ever. Absolutely. Anything. Absolutely. Icon, yeah. Icon. And I just thought like, the guy needs some connective tissue to this kind of uh, pantheon of great right. fighters because right. you don't necessarily know what you're looking at with Deontay Wilder mm. a lot of the time because I feel like he has a, on his wall in his gym, it's here are the short-term heavyweights in one ledger and here are the long-term heavyweights in the other ledger where Joe Lewis is there. Right. And in the short term, you know, Michael Spinks and a handful of other guys, that you know, Tony Tubbs and that sort of thing. <laughs> and... Which one is Wilder going to fall in? Well, he's already been there for a while now. Absolutely. As a long-term guy, but it hasn't made much of a difference in sort of turning him into what we think of as a generational defining heavyweight champion. Right. And I've always wondered is, is he going to end up being like George Foreman? Mm. Or is he going to end up being like Michael Grant was before he fought Lennox Lewis? Right. Somebody packaged and marketed very effectively as sort of the next Mike Tyson even though he's six foot seven, knocking out everybody, he has the same nucleus of trainers and manager and that sort of thing as, as Tyson coming up. Like, don't miss him because he's going to be the next special guy. I remember them putting him on the cover of, I think, Boxing Monthly and that sort of thing. And Wilder has given us glimpses of both. Mm. He's shown vulnerabilities that make him look more limited than Michael Grant did. Right. And he's shown us glimpses of knockouts that are maybe more iconic than a lot of foremans. Right, because they're one punch. Because they're one punch. Yeah. And uh, and he, they look a lot smoother and more fluid than Foreman ever threw his right. great punch. And right. I love George Foreman. But he was, like Ali said, he was kind of like the mummy. Yeah, he was. It was really, things were really wide. Right. So I think that's, for me, what makes Wilder must-see. Right. is uh, the liabilities and the assets are, I, I've never seen them in the same fighter at the level that he's at, which right. I think could only happen in the heavyweight division. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, you don't see that in other divisions. Because sure. he couldn't. Right, right. Because right. he couldn't. He would have fought way too many guys to exploit the fact he doesn't have a great chin, doesn't have the fundamentals, doesn't have the skill level. Uh, you know, I I said it, I I think it was included in the article, but... When I watched him sparring in Tuscaloosa, there were a bunch of uh, English journalists who were there covering uh, covering Fury. And as we watched 10 or 12 rounds of sparring, I said, well, you know, what's your impression of this? I certainly had my impression. And they, <laughs> and they all kind of simultaneously said, 
if he is unable to knock Fury out, and we don't even – this is before we knew that Fury would come back to, to pull off the great comeback, to be in the shape he was in and put on the performance he did. So it was us assuming that this was going to be a pretty shitty third-rate version of Fury. Right. They said if he's not knocked out, he's going he's gonna to win every round. Mm. Mm. He's going to box circles around this guy. This guy is a terrible, terrible, terribly limited boxer. Which is pretty much what happened. Which is pretty much what happened. <laughs> they weren't wrong. They like both of those those statements were true. Right. The knockouts were there. It was incredible. But the rest of the time, boy, like I, I just not seen somebody at his level with this many title defenses who looks this limited. Right. So I mean listen, it, it, so uh Wilder Fury too, obviously will will carry a lot of intrigue because you know you you've got a supposedly a better you know, a, a more in shape Fury, a guy who's had some, you know, still tune-up fights, but not as bad as the ones he had the year before. Um, but let's look at the other side of the ledger with uh, with Joshua. Um, he seems to have, you know, right now Hearn is in discussions with uh, the sanctioning bodies who seem to be going back to this Wild West. There, there was, I mean, having spoken to Pat English about this, there was kind of a a uh, you know, like a rotation system that they worked out for unified champions back when Holyfield was champion. Right. Where, you know, they're, you know, supposedly when these guys unified that there wouldn't be just an immediate stripping because everybody throws their right. mandatory at the champion at once. Like they would say, all right, you know, who's was owed, you know, the, the longest. Well, that goes first and they take turns. Um, seems like that's gone out the window. Because basically the the BO and the BF are both saying, you owe us a mandatory. Yeah. We're next. So I think Eddie Hearn, the thing he needs to do is get them both on the phone at the same time and work it out. But uh, but as of now, Joshua is facing two mandatories. He's got uh, Kubrat Pulev, mm-hmm. um, who uh, top rank signed. But I believe that that's the IBF mandatory. And Pulev had been the mandatory and then got injured and uh, Joshua had to fight Takum. Um so this this is kind of his second bite at the apple. And uh, over in the WBO, you've got probably the more interesting fight, which is Alexander Usyk yeah. um, is, is the mandatory. So <clears throat> it seems business-wise, if, if Hearn had to choose a, a, uh, a title to, to let Joshua let go, um, it would be the WBO because he all, you know, Hearn also has Usyk under contract and supposedly the vacant title would be contested between two Eddie Hearn fighters, Chisora and Usyk. Right. And, you know, obviously Joshua could go ahead and fight the top-ranked fighter, and if he gets past him, then, you know, he he knows that Eddie's going to hook him up with, you know, the, sure. the WBO. And in all honesty, I would I would like to see Usyk in another heavyweight fight before he gets in there with Joshua. Sure. Supposedly Joshua wants the Usyk fight next because he just thinks it's a more interesting fight. It's a bigger challenge. Yeah. But I would much rather see Alexander Usyk take another step up <coughs> at heavyweight and uh, and uh, get another fight under his belt before he challenges uh, Joshua. So uh, I want that for him as a fan of Usyk. I think to give him the best chance possible. Right. To be prepared to go into this. I mean, he's so fresh as a heavyweight. Right. You know, I want him to get a better sense of how he deals with those kind of blows, especially with somebody like Joshua with that kind of power. Right. And we're not just talking about just a heavy-handed, you know, guy, but we're talking about elite-level power. Right. You know, I think I think Joshua still is just an absolutely tremendous puncher. Right. I don't know that he's – I mean, I 
at times I thought he had kind of the same sort of firepower as Wilder, but I think Wilder has shown us it's another level. Right, right. But uh, Josh was pretty special. What he can do, what he can do. Absolutely. And I think he can throw in combination better than Wilder can. You right. Know, like that uppercut to hook. Right. Combination stunning. You know that that. Whew. Yeah, I mean, what what it impressed me when Joshua was an aggressive fighter um, and as a finisher was his accuracy too. Yeah. When when he let his hands go and and kind of when he was in range and, and looking to put someone out, he was very good at landing not just one shot, but maybe two, three shots and just like devastating somebody with that. And I think he just has a build that's more conducive to throwing in combination. Right. You know, Wilder, it's all upper body. Right. You know, the legs are just, you know, stilts. <laughs> um, Joshua just, just doesn't look lanky at all. I mean, it's very, very well distributed weight, you know, just for... Now, what did you think, like, the one major flaw with, with Joshua, it seemed like, in, in his big fights before was just gassing? Absolutely. And in the last fight, you know, and, and he said, you know, he talked to Klitschko, and Klitschko's like, well, when Michael Phelps trains, he doesn't do weight training. You know, he doesn't do all this other he stuff. Swims. He just swims. He's a swimmer. So cut the weight training out and just, yeah. you know, box, do what you do and just do more of it. Yeah. And uh, came in lighter, came in much less bulky. Yeah. And... Box for 12 rounds and it didn't seem like he gassed so you know is, is, is it a new Anthony Joshua were you impressed by that well it, it definitely was an improvement it was good advice right. you know I don't know why he needs to be as big as he was in the first fight against Ruiz right. not a bodybuilding contest uh, it's obviously. not a bodybuilding contest <laughs> and when Ruiz you, proved that yeah but I mean I I liked I think he deserves real credit for making the adjustments he did to win the rematch decisively I think he owes Ruiz, a big fat kiss for showing up <laughs> fat and not taking him seriously. Absolutely. Yeah, like thanks, right, right. <laughs> thanks for that. I mean, but uh, but no, I thought Joshua. I mean, his hands were high. The jab was more effective. Like there was some bad intention behind it. But I mean, he fought the fight tactically in an intelligent way to win the fight. Right. But I thought what he betrayed was he was still afraid of Ruiz. He didn't close the show. Didn't close the show still afraid of him, and more than not being able to close the show, the moments where he did try to engage to really assert himself, uh, he, came out he came out worse in almost every exchange. Yeah, Ruiz was still beating at 283 pounds, was still beating Joshua to the punch when it, when, when it got phone booth. Yeah. When it, it became a you know, belt-to-belt brawl. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and I mean, it was also just startling to me that Ruiz was unable to make even one step towards cutting off the ring. <laughs> For the entire fight, he right. just chased him and chased him and chased him, but never took that right step to just find a find an angle. I heard it was a twenty two foot ring though. Like they, yeah. they gave Joshua as big a ring as possible to to, to to for Ruiz to cut off. So it's just it's just weird to see somebody with Joshua's build and firepower and the offense that he's displayed throughout his career on his back back foot throughout. You know, really on his bicycle for most of the fight, you right. just think like, "Wow, what is his confidence level at, and right. was his confidence level improved as a result of this fight?" Because I think, like, for a big guy who can punch like that, I mean, I think that Foreman, no matter what was happening, obviously most most incredibly in the Michael Moore fight, 
you know, as a, what, what was he, 42 at right. that point, still very heavy, very right. slow. Right. But there is a complete confidence that at any moment I can stop this fight and win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he dropped most of the rounds going into the Almost round. All. He stopped them, yeah. Yeah. But, but he knew that, you know, at a certain point, more would slow down. He would stick his chin out. And, you know, and, and he was very, you know, just very prescient with that. Right. And, and and what I saw with Joshua, again, is I think he found enough poise to get the victory. Right. He found enough poise to box intelligently, to engage in ways that benefited him, that, that didn't, ex- he exposed himself to just enough risk to win. Right. And came up with a, you know, a strategy that was well implemented, that was disciplined, where he comes away with the victory. But it betrayed to me much more that he knew if he fought the way he used to fight, he was going to lose. Right. Right. And I don't, I think Ruiz. This doesn't inspire confidence. No, it doesn't. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And, and even a, even a, you know, much larger, more ineffectual Ruiz still looked like the much more dangerous fighter. He was the one fighting to win. Right. 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 He was the one fighting to assert himself, to knock Joshua out. And I think Joshua felt at risk. Right. Almost throughout the entire fight, that right. was unusual right. for such a little fat man relative <laughs> to this gigantic, muscled, you know, titan. He was still the bully in there. He was yeah. still a bully, still right. a boss, almost throughout. Right. So, right. Uh, I just wonder: is the Joshua who who fought Klitschko is that guy gone? Because mm. that guy, when he got knocked down and came back, was fighting throwing bombs. Yeah. Bombs. He came to knock Klitschko out. Yeah. He would not be satisfied unless he got him out. Right. And I saw a level of pride. I saw some aggression that was trying to dominate and was concerned with legacy. You could feel this kind of connection he felt with how meaningful the moment was. Right. And that he was being tested by the greatest opponent. He wanted to rise above it and not just win, but, but prove the, the, this is a coronation of a generational defining talent. Right. Yeah, he's he's a guy who was concerned with legacy. And yes. Yeah. And and in the best possible way. Right. The best possible manifestation of that. I mean, it was, uh, you know, one of the great heavyweight fights I've ever seen. Right. Was was that fight. absolutely epic? It, yeah, it was epic. Epic. Whereas to the hype. Whereas he has shrunk. Right. Enormously in status as a result of what happened in the first fight. Where it wasn't just that it looked like a wild upset as a result of one punch. He was thoroughly dominated by somebody where, you know, at the time, right, as soon as it happened, everybody went, wow, look at his resume. This guy was a, had a really great amateur resume. He did. Right. He did. But now you're kind of looking at him and you're thinking, is Andy Ruiz really a Hall of Fame level fighter or whatever? <laughs> no, he's a pretty good heavyweight. Right. But on, on, on balance, is he better than John Ruiz in the 1990s as a heavyweight? Probably not. Right, right. Probably not even close. Yeah, does John Ruiz beat him? Probably. <laughs> probably, be, probably beats him 10 out of 10 times. Right? Right, right, right. Yeah, like it's not just Because if he doesn't beat him, then he'll fake a low blow and, you know, right, right, him right. And win on a foul because John Ruiz was, was that crafty of a fighter. So we're so fickle in terms of Ruiz gets this great four knockdown performance against Joshua, who's you know, been undefeated and beat Klitschko and all of this. And we go, oh, my God, we we didn't understand what we were looking at. And Ruiz is a very special fighter. And he could dominate any of the people who are out there. And now you're kind of like, could he? <laughs> Maybe. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's that what have you done for me lately lately mentality. Right. But um but yeah, I mean listen, I, I think with Joshua, I mean it, it assuming that he does fight Pulev first, maybe he gets some get back, maybe he gets some mojo back because Pulev is is a slow white guy, yep. older guy who's not it doesn't have the hand speed of, of Andy Ruiz. Perfect setup, you know, stand up, sure. you know, European type guy. I mean, Joshua probably will go to him and, and look to put him out and get himself get his mojo back. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, we'll see if, if that happens and then Usyk fights Chisora, which is a very interesting fight. Yeah. Um, we'll see how Usyk looks now, I guess, um, you know, and then hopefully we'll see, uh, you know, Usyk, uh, Joshua later Love in the year. That fight. I just wonder, are people going to start coming at Joshua the way Ruiz did? Has it created a blueprint where everybody recognizes, including Joshua, that the chin is weak and that your best chance is to come at him? Guns blazing, right? To get in exchanges, get in with exchanges him. with him because you can you can outwork him, and you can discourage him, and you can discourage him, and you can break his will. And he's cautious now, right? He's aware of some weaknesses and, and fragility. And when you're fighting to survive, you're a very different fighter than when you're fighting to win, right? Right. Let alone close the show. Right. And he was a close the show kind of fighter. He had that kind of confidence. I don't know that he's ever going to get it back. Right. Once you take it, like I, I think. I think Kevin Rooney said, uh, you know, Mike Tyson's first professional trainer, that once once a fighter who's gone into the ring who is afraid gains confidence and fights bravely, they don't go back. Mm. They don't lose that bravery. And you saw it with Buster Douglas. When Buster Douglas gets knocked down, he already turned into a brave fighter after that right, first round. Right, right. And he slams his fist into the canvas and like, fuck. Right. You know, like I screwed up, but I'm going to get this guy kind of thing. And my view when I watch that is I see Tyson look at that and go, well, I'm not a brave guy right now. He's mm. turning me into a cowardly fighter. Mm. I'm looking for a way out of this. <laughs> I thought I just want it. Right. And God, I don't want to be here anymore. Right. And when I look at Joshua, I'm seeing somebody, I don't know that he wants to be there anymore. Mm. He's got enough money. He's done enough things where he can have a very happy life outside of boxing. And I think he he is looking at his own fragility. He's an interesting guy. He's he's very uh, you know he's very honest, very and, and honest. he's very honest about his fear and about his limitations. Yep. And it's it's almost off putting. You know, you you're not used to fighters being that introspective and, and cerebral, um, and and you wonder if it works to his detriment at times. Well, I think almost, it does. <laughs> he doesn't delude himself as, as to what the possibilities are in the ring. But uh, I don't see his meanness. I don't see his cruelty. Right. I don't see the kind of com- the demonic competitiveness the yeah. that is necessary. I think most of these guys who get to the top get there on the basis of, of demons, not mm. virtues. Right. And uh, to me, it sounds like he, he emerged from a life of a lot of ice, a lot of struggle, and he's become a very decent, considerate, compassionate person. Right. These are great things as a human being. They're pretty shitty as a they work against you Yeah, they work against you. They can be <laughs> your their kelp, you know, to get where you're going. Unfortunately, so it's it's an interesting commentary on right. on sort of evaluating what's necessary to get to the top. Absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, fighters and heavyweights who lost motivation, we talked about the big three. What about Andy Ruiz? Where does he go from here? What, what, what's twenty twenty look like for Andy Ruiz? And, and and you know, if you were Andy Ruiz's manager, uh, you know, what direction would you take him in? Yeah, well, I mean, you're the one with the history of managing fighters. 
But uh, I'd be extraordinarily concerned that we've seen how he dealt with big success, and uh, and it was pretty to the detriment of maintaining that success, even though everybody was there, you know, saying, don't become Buster Douglas. Right. And he weighs in exactly 15 pounds like Buster <laughs> Douglas more for the rematch. Um, don't allow this victory to define you, like right. the money to define you. Keep working. Right. When Steven Spielberg started making big money, it changed nothing of his lifestyle mm. because that wasn't the point. Right. The point right, was, right. I want a whole career in Hollywood. It was not to win the lottery to then retire at a beach and do nothing. <laughs> so with, with Ruiz, the moment I saw that, you know, this endless social media, I've hit the jackpot. I thought, well, you know, the biggest fight of your life, it's a lot harder to keep the title than to win it. Right. Paradoxically. And I wonder how hard he's going to be and how critical he's going to be about himself allowing this to happen. And does anybody need to fight him now? Like, do Joshua, Fury, or Wilder need to fight him anymore? Or is he just going to be dismissed as a sort of one-trick pony for what he achieved in the first fight at Madison Square Garden? Well, it seems like he's out of the mix. For, for I mean, doesn't look like Wilder or Fury is going to fight him. And, uh, you know, unless, uh, unless, like we said, there's some, like, you know, one-sidedness to that, to that rematch and maybe, you know, the other... Especially if it's Wilder who wins, you know he's going to look at, to, to fight a BBC guy. So potentially you could see a Wilder Ruiz fight in, in twenty twenty. Yeah, but um, more likely, you know, it just seems like Andy's always been this way. I mean, his whole career he's been fat. You know, he's never been a, a body beautiful. Um, you know, he's and, he, and he's always said, you know, I'll do better next time, and it never seems to. So he is what he is, and you know, there's you know, there's still that hand speed there. There's still he had pretty good amateur career i mean he's he's definitely got you know he's he's a he's a real fighter oh yeah um yeah, he's got ability yeah so i think he's a legit top 10 fighter um you know where he goes from here you know if it's not you know a big fight with one of these guys like you know who do you put him in with i mean it's pretty obvious to me that you have to have the hamburger championship of the world between him and adam uh, konaski good yeah yeah because they're they're you know <laughs> there you go and, and 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 you know it's funny because konaski is another like big guy who doesn't look the part he's also like a sweetheart outside the ring but inside the ropes you know is nasty yeah. and, and 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 you know he's he's uh he comes at you throws a ton of punches I would love, love, love yeah. to see that fight, and certainly the winner of that fight would deserve a deserve a shot at it at one of the big guys. I like Andy Ruiz. <coughs> I love what he represented as as the first Mexican American champion. Yeah. I thought it was tremendous. You know, he's got a winning personality in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I was I was disappointed that he didn't take it more seriously or with more humility. That how quickly this can evaporate. Right. That's what was. But I, I mean, how the hell do you prepare? for this but i mean you had a lot of people who've been there before just saying be careful man because right. there's a reason why people who look like you do not get where you are right the guys who pulled the big upset buster douglas leon spinks yeah just kind of a one fleeting shot at the top yeah and i mean look like you in the sense of that body type is well earned you're right. not you're not training seriously. <laughs> you're not monitoring your diet. Did you, did you see that one picture online? It looked like yeah, was, I did see that picture. Like he had all slimmed down. You're like, wow, Josh was in trouble, man. Ruiz is going to be even better, you know, better shape this time, you know. And what happened? <laughs> you just like 
The discipline evaporated, you know? Well, I mean, it sounded like you, yeah, he showed up way late. He was not taking training seriously. You know, it was a bit a bit like Duran and the rematch with Leonard, you know, blowing up in between fights. But Ruiz has been famous for this throughout his career. Right. And, and I mean, in general, you know, like you notice this with people in other areas where we, if we're lying about small things, it's a lot easier to lie about big things. Right. Right, right. And if this guy is lacking discipline for, you know, lesser fights, if he's not taking them seriously, with a fight like Joshua, or had he knocked him out again, could have ended his career. Right. And I mean, in a meaningful way, and set himself up to be, you know, viable as a multi-million dollar heavyweight, let alone remaining as heavyweight champion for, you know, four or five fights. Right. Where he could be making 10, 20, 30 million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had the potential to 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 be huge, huge, and uh, and all the endorsements. I mean, he's a marketing dream to, you know, America by I think it's twenty thirty five. Spanish will be the dominant language, right? You know, well, who? It, it it was almost a shame that you know, I mean, and he had no choice but to have that rematch clause in there. But it almost would have been nice if he could have gotten like a a, a soft touch, you know, first title defense before he got that yeah. rematch in, so that you know. He could have come in at 283 and people could have yelled at him and he still would have, you know, gotten through it and de- right. defended the title. And then maybe for Joshua, he got a little more serious. But, it's, you know, that, that immediate rematch just bit him in the ass. It did bite him in the <laughs> ass. And, I mean, this is this is what is there to make us appreciate the people like Floyd Mayweather where they may be the first billionaire in boxing, but they're training as hard as anybody with absolutely right. nothing. It's 365, you know, 24-7 for Floyd. Absolutely. Know? He's not drinking. He's not binging. No. Nope. Yeah. He's, he's running at about 3 in the, the morning. Yeah. yeah. He's going to the gym. They they just have the devotion of, of, of indentured servitude to this craft. Right. And they give everything to it. And some people have a lot of ability, like Ruiz. And he put a lot into it to have these amateur fights. But it does make you appreciate the people that have that extra level of just discipline to maintain all areas. Because boxing, as stressful it is, as it is, one of the things that we, we forget is you have to deal with it stone sober. Right. All of us have these ways of self-medicating moods that we don't like to be in or feeling things that we don't want to feel and we get to eat them away, drink them away, drug them away, <laughs> fuck them away, you know. And boxers get to do the fucking, right, not right. the best guy to marry, you know, probably <laughs> as a prospect for a husband, you know, with fidelity, but they can't drink it, they can't drug it, right? you know, and they have to be hungry all the time, right. you know, which brings out a lot of unpleasant feelings inside. So, uh, you know, I don't think that it's something that Ruiz ever wanted to embrace, kind of famously doesn't want to embrace, so... I'd like to say that he could make some kind of big, profound turnaround, but in most cases, people do what's easiest and what they want to do, and and his body is very much a big billboard of the kind of life he wants to live, which is pleasure. Right. (laughs) You know, and so I'd be amazed if this is some stark paradigm shift for him, but but I, I like what he represented in the first fight. It's just I wonder how much this injures his pride that now this is the, um, the other aspect of his legacy is that this really undermines the first achievement and he very quickly is just a punchline. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it seemed like he, you know, maybe beforehand they had fed him that, oh, you know, don't worry if you lose this fight. There will be a third fight. Well, 
Now we'll see if there's ever a third fight between Joshua and, and just and just to take that for granted for him, it's hard to feel sympathy. Right, right. You know, the the I've said this before, but but I mean, I've come across two people in boxing of hundreds of people that I've interviewed or spoken with that ever bragged about the money they saved. Everybody else is what they spent it on. Right, right. And those two people were afraid that they lose everything. Mm. And they worked a lot harder than the people who anticipated that another check was on the way. Right, right. That fear, that fear and that paranoia can be a big asset. might not be to your sense of general well-being. I think Luis <laughs> enjoys himself a lot. Right. But in terms of uh, success and, and efficacy and taking on what's necessary, fear is a good motivator. Absolutely. Contentment, not so much. <laughs> so let's move uh, on the 2020 tour to the uh, next division down, the cruiserweights. Um, to me, in all honesty, I mean, although there's, you know, and, and, and we all know uh, our good friend uh, Rafe, Bartholo- Rafe Bartholomew is a huge cruiserweight fan. But myself, you know, I only see one fight at cruiserweight that I'm really interested in. And that's the, the, the finals of the World Boxing Super Series that somehow didn't come off. Uh, in 2019 between, uh, you know, Maris Bredis and uh, Junior Dartikos, uh, which should be one hell of a fight. Mm. Um, you know, both of those guys are, 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 are really good fighters. And, you know, Dartikos is a guy who looks to put your head out in tough, every round tough, tough guy. and can get you in any round. And Bredis is just tough as nails and, and finds ways to win. Although in his last fight, you know, the, those, the ways to win were, you know... Uh, sinking an elbow into the back of the other guy's head and yep. beating the shit out of him after the round. Um, so that that, uh, that actually caused the delay in the tournament because I, yeah, I know for a fact the, uh, the person uh, representing uh, Glowaski, uh, who uh, Breedis did that to, um, uh, basically appealed to the WBO and, and actually got the WBO to uh, order a rematch between Breedis and Glowaski. But I, I, you know, my impression, although there hasn't been an announcement made, I think Breedis is going to blow that off. He's not. He's not going to fight Glowaski again. He's going to give up his WBO title, um, and there may be some sort of you know thing about giving up the title in the tournament. I don't know. There's some sort of machination that that put this fight off a little bit. But to me, the one fight I'm looking forward to a cruiserweight in 2020 is is that uh, finals of the World Boxing Super Series. Totally agree. Yeah, no, I, I think Ortico's is is really fun to watch. Yes, and and that's the only fight. I mean, yeah, it's it's always been a tough division to really be compelling, even for hardcore fans. Yeah, and and, and it's funny because there are some great fights. You know, I think you know when I compiled the list of uh, fights of the year, you know, there was at least two or three fights uh, in 2019 that that were cruiserweight fights. Um, but you know, in, in in 2020, you know, to my mind, I mean, you know. I mean, what's crazy about having had the World Boxing Super Series in the cruiserweight division in 2019 was that we just had a World Boxing Super yeah, Series yeah, yeah. at cruiserweight. It's enough. So that whole division's kind of chewed up a little bit. You know, the best, we've we've determined who the best are. You know, the best was Usyk. He moved out. The second best was Gassiev. He moved out. And now the third and fourth best guys are fighting each other. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately that fight got put off. So, yeah. I mean, the the only sleeper that I think most people are disregarding is if Mike Lee comes back <laughs> and avenges Caleb. I thought you were going to say if Canelo decides no, no, he's going to no. move up one more division. Yeah, well, well I mean, 
<laughs> if well, I mean, if Mike Lee avenges the loss to Caleb Plant, yes. moves up because that we, first fight, you know, could have went either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a real nail biter there. But no, I mean, yeah, Mike Lee and 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 Canelo. I mean, I think that's where you have some some real action. No, right. yeah. Yeah. Cruiserweight series, it's a tough, it's a tough sell. We're cruising past the cruisers, so light heavyweight. <laughs> Al Pacino cruising. Yes, that's right. You know, light heavyweight kind of got sorted out a little bit in 2019 because we had the uh, the uh, unification fight between Artur Vedrbiev and Alexander Gvozdik, which was a great fight. Great fight to me. You know, the best fight uh, on ESPN in 2019. Um, and you had Kovalev kind of got his get back against the leader Alvarez. Um, and then Canelo right. basically, I don't want to say he finished Kovalev, but I'd be surprised if uh, Kovalev makes a entirely meaningful comeback after that. Well, that was a really devastating knockout. I don't really want to see him come back from that. <laughs> now, that was, that was pretty... Like that's enough. Yeah, that was, that was sort of reminiscent, and I'm sure he got paid a ton of money too. Yeah, and so. he should have, and he right. should have. But I mean, it reminded me similar feeling to seeing Rocky Marciano put Joe Lewis out. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it literally almost mirrored uh, Marciano putting Walcott out the way he was like hung over the rope. Ah, good point. Yeah, with with the glove and the head. Um, Just tough. tough yeah, time. yeah. That, that's a tough one to come back from, and I hated the excuses he was making. Oh, it was too soon after the last fight. I was like, come on. Yeah, just fuck off. Your yeah. trainer, Buddy McGirt, took two massive fights on like you know two months though. I mean, you know, Buddy made a career of fighting like five, six times a year. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No one wants to hear that shit. I mean, I mean, I guess you know the one guy I'm leaving out is Dimitri Bivol, who uh, who when he won the title, I considered him still a prospect. He's had you know a few title defenses. Um, Hasn't really been lighting it up, though. I mean, all the title fits are all starting to look the same. He's more of a safety first. Uh, he's not He's not the banger he looked like he was coming up. Yeah, interesting how the tenor of his career changed pretty dramatically. Right, I mean, once he unde- fought the top-level guys. Yeah, still undefeated, but, I, yeah, I think the shine is off him being a real excitement to electrify a division that basically nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason, well, you're saying no one cares about it. I mean, uh, you know... It's unique in that you have four, you know, Eastern European guys. You know, it's, I, that's it's, what I mean. It's American audiences are right. struggling to pronounce the names. It's it's just in a weird. Talk about right struggling now. to sell tickets too. Yeah. You have, I mean, Vazdik and Berbia was is a hell of a fight, and yeah. I, I think they struggled to, to to you know sell that place out. And it wasn't a huge arena either in Philly. I think ten fifteen years from now, this <clears throat> this you know getting fans acclimated to how good some of these fighters really are, and some of the fights that are being made, how good they are. I think we'll be in a different place in terms of its marketability, but it's just, it's a... But in fairness, too, you yeah. know, that fight should have taken place in Russia. Yeah, true. true. Or the Ukraine. Which it would have been fucking massive yeah, over there. And that's where these guys are from. Yeah. I mean, bringing them to the States, I mean, listen, this is where the money is, Yeah. you know, and this is where the interest is, you know, mostly it's where the money is. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, when when, when you're transplanting these guys over here, it's very tough to make them into a draw. I mean, Triple G and, and Tom Loeffler obviously should get a ton of credit because... Sure. But even now, Triple G's having a little problem selling tickets. I know the last fight he had at the Garden, you know, wasn't exactly, uh, you know, a massive amount of tickets that he sold. So, um, I think there's still just some discomfort in Russia after Rocky fought there against Drago. <laughs> you know, and the Russians are cheering for the American... You know, so there's some ambivalence on the part of that geopolitically, but I mean, at some point they need to let that go. That was 30 years ago. 
I mean, listen, I, I think a Bevo better be a fight. I, I think top rank, I would not be surprised if top rank and Eddie really pursue that. I think that is a really interesting fight. I Great would fight. definitely be interested in seeing it. Um, and you also have, you know, top rank kind of has this division. Uh, I mean, Bevo is not with top rank, but I mean, they've got um, Gilberto Ramirez, Zerto mm-hmm. Ramirez moving up um from junior uh i'm sorry from super middleweight and also jesse hart um i think he's in an eliminator is a philly fighter who top rank has so they've got some pieces in this division you know and i think a, a ramirez fight against either better Biev or or Bival is is of interest um you know i i think 2020 hopefully we'll see you know you know either better be a Bival or better be a uh, ramirez um, I think those are interesting fights. I mean, they're definitely definitely a division where there's there's interest and there's good fights to be made. Not really, I mean, maybe to most American fans, you know, these guys are not icons and big ticket sellers. Not and yet. But must see. But yeah, but I mean, shit, better be have knocked out every fighter he's been in there with. I yeah. Mean. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, if he gets the right opponent to sort of put him over as it were. I don't know that it's going to be with the present cast of characters. But, right. But he has the talent to do it. Right, right. You know, and I think several of these guys are, are important fighters in, in, a, in an interesting division. But yeah, it's it's a struggle, just the optics of... I think maybe what better be needs to do in his next fight on ESPN is win the fight and then, like, you know, get in Andre Ward's face yeah. and just say, listen, bitch, come yeah. on. What were you saying about me? Right. Oh, I'm one demand. Come on, man. Let's go. go. Let's go. Come on, Andre. That's true. You know you want to come back. Stomp on his glasses. Yeah, do something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, bring in some theater. Right, right, right. Yeah, they could use it. Those guys are not exactly, uh, you know, Mayweather-esque in their uh, entertainment value. Well, entertainment outside the ring. Okay. Outside the ring, I know. I know. I know. You had the famous line that he's, you know, the, what was he the the well, most exciting fighter ever until he gets in the ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so super middleweights. Let's look at the super middleweights. I mean, the champions are kind of divided uh, between the PBC and uh, Matchroom. You, Matchroom has uh, Callum Smith, the WBA champ, and uh, Billy Joe Saunders, the WBO champ. Um, neither of whom looked particularly great in their last fights, although, you know, Smith was taking on a much higher caliber of fighter. Yes, John Ryder uh, fought a great fight. A lot of people thought it was much closer than the cards had it. Um, I wasn't as bothered by it. I thought Callum kind of clearly won it, but um, but it was a very competitive fight. Um, you know, the one guy who, who, to me, represents a lot of excitement, you know, or, you know other, outside of Callum Smith, who, you know, is definitely a knockout puncher. But uh, David Benavides, you know, I really enjoy watching. Fun fighter. Yeah, he's a guy who comes to get you out. Absolutely. Um, very exciting fighter. And there seems to be a definite rivalry between him and Caleb Plant. They don't have too many nice things to say about each other. Love to see that fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I think Caleb Plant's a very fun fighter to watch, too. He, he surprised me because he hadn't really fought anybody before yeah. he fought for the title. And he was one of these, you know, jab and grab kind of guys. And I'm like, you know, he's not looking really impressing. You know, it's like, oh, overprotected white boy. Here we go again. Yeah. I thought Uzkategi was going to just whoop that ass, and quite the opposite happened. Yeah. I mean, Plant's like, "Fuck you, I'm for real." Well, I, I think he's a tough. I think he's a tough, tough guy. It was a particular pleasure to watch him. I think he created a gun with his fingers when he was at the weigh-in against Mike Lee, and Mike Lee just shit bricks. 
you know, it, you know, and this is coming from the president of the Mike Lee fan club, ladies and gentlemen. That is so. true. I don't let many people know that. I'm willing to disclose it. But uh, but yeah, I made Subway happen. No, no, I just I just was very impressed with Caleb Plant. I think he deserves at least like a Medal of Honor for uh, defeating probably the 21st century's prime example of white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> <And Mike> Lee. <laughs> No, I I don't know why I just have to shit all over, but I just oh god. But no, I like I. There's a lot of great fighters here. There's a lot of great undefeated fighters here. Right. You know, four in the top ten are undefeated with very heavy knockout percentages. Yeah. Um, and I th- I think there's just a lot of interesting combinations. I want my countryman David Lemieux to get back into the mix. <laughs> uh, always he had a real rough time his last fight. He got put down twice. Yeah. Yeah. He did not. I mean, he was. I was. I mean, as big as he punches, he was always kind of a small middleweight. Yeah, like, he was. Like, super middleweight's going to be a big ask for him, I think. Well, some flapjacks and, and maple syrup. And, <laughs> That's right. And, and maple syrup power, baby. And some poutine and both fists. <laughs> uh, you know, he's always dangerous. What do you make of uh, Danny Jacobs coming up to 68? Do you think he's going to make some noise? Um, I mean, I, I, did you watch the fight with uh, Chavez Jr.? Yeah, God. <laughs> What an embarrassment that guy is. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was uh, that was not one of boxing's finer moments. I mean, the, the person I felt worst for was his dad who had to, like, sit there and watch his like son just bitch out because his nose was bleeding. Like, oh, my God. Well, and just coming in overweight. Yeah. I, I've, you know. Five pounds overweight. Five pounds overweight. The body looked ripped in a way that, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, avoiding the drug testing. Avoiding the drug testing. Just, yeah, just everything about it was just right. pretty awful. I mean, I, I've always liked Danny Jacobs. I like him as a person. I like him as a fighter. Right. Sometimes he's a little frustrating as a fighter. You think, like, there could be some style and strategy adjustments that he would benefit from. You just feel like he's got the raw tools. Like, he, you know, he's got the raw tools of, like, an all-time great. But he just, you know, he's got, like... Hand speed, you know, when he lets it go yeah. to burn, he's got power that's, you know, I mean, he just beat the living shit out of Kid Chocolate in one round. Oh, Jesus. So you, you feel like he can be devastating, but he just never seems to be able to put it all together. Um, you know, it's almost like he's either thinking too much out there or or just, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's something holding him back. That's just it. Yeah, there's something holding him back. But, I mean, all the potential in the world to... Yeah, to be to be very special, and and as it is, he's elite, which is which is great. No small achievement. I give him full credit for that, and what he's come back from, obviously, with the, the narrative with overcoming cancer. But uh, yeah, it, it's does he beat any of these four champs? I think he's going to struggle against all of them. Mm. Mm. I think I, I I don't say that it won't be competitive. I don't think he's going to be dominated, but I I have my doubts at this stage in his career, where, you know, he's. He's no spring chicken. He's he's had some losses, and um, yeah, I don't I don't know that he was particularly served by Chavez Junior <laughs> to being prepped. I just think it's a little heavy weight class for him. He looks well. I mean, you know, he said Chavez Junior was a cruiserweight when they got in there, and he so, was. Yeah, so it was like a middleweight fighting a cruiserweight. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Danny almost was talking about going back down to middleweight and and, and fighting back there, but but he always seemed. I mean, you know, he would come in really heavy the the, the yep. day of fights at, at at middleweight. So it seems like this is a more natural weight class for him. 
But uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, he's with Matchroom. Um, they've got Saunders, they've got Smith, and Callum Smith's got to be just begging for a big freaking fight. You, you know, coming off the World Boxing Super Series win, you'd think there would be bigger and better things. In 2019, it was what he fought. Uh, um, uh, what was it like uh, Hassan? Uh, Nadam? Yeah. Yeah. He, he fought him and then he fought, uh, you know, uh, John Ryder. And, and, you know, he got an easy knockout and then a not so easy fight. Yeah. Neither of which were big profile fights. Um, you'd think like he's going to want a unification or he's going to want a Danny Jacobs. He needs like a, a high profile fight. So hopefully one of those two happen. I mean, I think obviously Saunders and Smith being British fighters, that's more of a natural fight mm-hmm. over in England. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I was wondering too, you know, Danny's still technically a, you know, PBC fighter. I mean, Al, Al has him under contract. You would think that, uh, you know, he hasn't crossed back over. I mean, maybe he's got a contract with the zone, but, you know, you would think he'd be able to make a fight with, with Plant or, or, or Benavides or the winner, maybe. I'd love to see him in any of those fights. Right. I, I just have my doubts about him coming out on top. But uh, but you always have to give him a shot. I think he always comes in prepared. He looked in tremendous shape, right, against Chavez Jr. Right. I mean, his build. He's definitely. Yeah, I just think it's in. a more natural weight for him. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's an it's an interesting, interesting guy to throw into the mix. Absolutely. You know, and one guy we didn't talk about at sixty eight, which it seemed it would seem to make more sense that he would settle there is Canelo. Yeah. I mean, getting all the way back down to 160 from 175 seems like a really big ask since he looked pretty solid at 175. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it's more natural for him to come back to 68. So you throw him in that mix. I mean, the thing is, though, like what's there for Canelo? I mean, Callum Smith obviously is, is kind of considered the best fighter in that class, and they're both the zone fighters. But, like, does that really interest Canelo, do you think, Callum? Is he a big enough name just yet, or is no. it going to move the needle if he beats Callum Smith? I, th- I think Canelo at this point wants mega fights. Right. They seem yeah. to be more, I mean, Marv, you know, certainly here in the States, going back to 60 makes a lot more sense because the light heavyweights are all Eastern Europeans, you know, and give yeah. a shit about. Um, 68, the biggest fighter, probably the two biggest fighters are British fighters who haven't made a dent over here. Um, whereas at 60, obviously there's the Golovkin fight, right? Um, they've even talked about, I mean, Golden Boy has talked about fighting Charlo. I would fucking love that fight. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Charlo brothers. I mean, you know, people could say what they want about them, but those guys come to hurt you. Yeah. They're fun. You know, they fight angry. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, and, you know, I mean, do I think Charlo beats, uh, uh, on his game Alvarez? Probably not. No. But, and Alvarez coming back. From 75, struggling to make weight, <laughs> yeah. suddenly it gets a lot more interesting. I think Canelo's the more skilled fighter, but if he's a little weight-drained, that makes that a really interesting fight. And, I mean, I thought he looked fantastic against Kovalev. You know, active, powerful. Right. Uh, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, like, when you see Canelo in real life, just how short he is. Like, right, right. The size difference was ridiculous yeah. between those two. Yeah, but... Uh, but I agree with you. I think a, a Roy Jones type scenario coming down from heavyweight to to light heavyweight. It's 15 pounds. A lot of weight, especially when you're that lean. The right. sort of new Canelo build that just is. Yeah, he didn't look doughy at, 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 at 75. No. I mean, he filled out real well. Yeah. I mean, I think Canelo 
is another one where whatever is going on with that build, like and the <laughs> diet and everything, uh, you know, his performance and aesthetically, he's just shredded. Yeah, and and seems to be optimal energy level. He's extraordinarily active. He's extraordinarily powerful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's economical with his shots, but he's yeah. just such a pro at this point. Everything's well placed. Everything's well thought out. And he's calm. He's yes. poised. You know, he's a pro's pro. He's a pro's pro in his prime. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and he's making the most of that. I mean, he's always coming in in shape. Right, and he's improving. Do you think we get uh, Alvarez uh, Triple G either at sixty or even sixty eight? I don't feel like Canelo wants the fight. He just really just fucking does not want I it. I think he really doesn't want it. Yeah. And it's just a pleasant fuck you <laughs> for him. I think he enjoys that more than the money he would earn off of it. Right. And like, I th- oh, I ducked you, huh? Well, I just beat you, and you're not you're not getting right. another shot at me. And and I think also just the, the ensuing impact of we're seeing Golovkin's diminishing returns right. in terms of marketability. Right, you know where Golovkin, even in Madison Square Garden, was like, "Look what he's done here," and and with HBO and everything, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. It's, the Derevianchenko fight, I I know for sure that they were putting tickets, like you know, practically giving them away yeah. to 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 get people to come. It wasn't like when you know he's fought there in the past and they did pretty healthy sales. I think they did less than the, the, this time around. And again, maybe it's that Eastern European. When you put two Eastern European fighters in there, maybe just people here in the States are like, Pfft. unless it's in Chicago, which where Usyk did really well. But uh, which you know, I've heard you, there's a huge Ukrainian crowd there. Like, you know, that, that, that might have been the place to put Golovkin where yeah. he hasn't fought yet. But I just feel or at like least Golovkin, Derevyuchenko, Ukrainian. Yeah, I, I feel as though Golovkin has gone from. Triple G became a character that Americans were getting excited by, and I think he's gone back to being Golovkin. <laughs> that's what I feel has happened. He's right. gone back to being, oh, that's a weird name. From right. Triple G, this cartoon character that just knocks well, he was the, Yeah, right. He was the wrecking ball, and then there was Jacobs and Canelo twice, where, you know... Kind of changed. All those fights were really close and could have went either way. Yeah. Although you could in in... Point of fact, you could have given all three of those fights to Triple G. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> but not in the way that he was transcending right a lot of his traditional liabilities to the American marketplace. Right, and he's gone back to being a guy you should care about. He, you should want to watch right. watch him. You should want to go to MSG to watch him instead of you know you, you have I, to yeah. you have to. Yeah. And, and I remember the buzz of seeing like the rise of that in right. New York of him showing up. All of these goddamn stunning Kazakhstani people coming out to support him. Yes, yes. Holy God, I've never seen more beautiful women than the, <laughs> these boxing fans. My God, just flapping their flags around, like cheering him on. Right. I was like, where do these people come from? I've never met anybody who's See, like, this is, you know, this is what we talk about on the Boxing Esquire podcast. What a chick magnet fucking Triple G is. Man. He was. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, just, just give him his props. But I mean, Kazakhstani... Kazakhstani people are just passionate and they were just wonderful fans. I mean, apart right. from their women being beautiful, they were just awesome fans to be in an arena with. They were so proud of him. And, you know, the, the colors of the flag are really nice. These bright teal. And, you know, it was uh, it was a really interesting, distinct atmosphere to, to be in with his fans. Yeah, you know, and, and this is where, you know, boxing's, you know, warring tribes really 
fucking sucks because Charlo, Golovkin, holy shit, would I fucking love that fight. And that would be a fight American crowds would get excited about, yeah, I think, too. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, because you know that's going to be worth your worth the price of admission. Absolutely. I mean, two guys who are looking to put some head out. And they wouldn't like each other in the buildup for Absolutely. it. Like it's got, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be a great fight. You know, and you know, it it just sucks, and you know, and and all due respect to uh, to Demetrius Andre and Chris Mannix, who's his biggest cheerleader. Uh, it just doesn't seem like a anybody wants to fight Andre, and and the fans aren't really catching fire with this either. That Andre, you know, no. needs to get a, a shot at these guys. I mean, it seems to make sense with with Golovkin and Alvarez, kind of you know circling each other for a third fight maybe maybe will maybe it won't that charlo and andre do fight but i don't know I, I i'd be surprised if it happens it just seems like andre is just always going to be the odd man out i think that's true and and I, I agree with you i think golovkin against either charlo would be a hell of a fun fight right right and they could uh you know if he wins they could do what the klitschko's did in terms of uh, Corey sanders or any of the defeats you know Bring it, beat this brother. <laughs> That's right. Or which Re- brother? Revenge of the brother. Revenge of the brother. Or which brother did you really fight? <laughs> right. You thought it was him, but right. it was <laughs> it was Jermel. Yeah. <laughs> I want some of those. The times. Allen, the Allen twins used to do that in the amateurs. They got caught a couple times waiting for each other. That's, that's funny. That's crazy. That's wow. That's a it's <laughs> like a Tarantino movie twist. You know, it's funny too. Is as you you know the another wild card in this division. You've got um. Uh, Jaime Munguia. Love him. Yeah, yeah, who's another, like, action fighter. Who Love him. Takes one to, to land, you know, land one. Um, WBO junior middleweight champ who's coming up to middleweight. Um, you know, he hasn't really, he didn't really fight too many guys at junior middleweight. I, You know, in my own personal top 10, I've got him at number 10 at middleweight because he's coming up there. But he would be, you know, according to the WBO rules, when your champion moves up, he immediately becomes the mandatory if he wants to be. Um, he's got to make a decision. He's got a fight coming up against uh, um, uh, Gary o- O'Sullivan, I believe. Sounds right. Yeah, the guy who uh, your man Lemieux absolutely uh, destroyed. Um, but, Canadian pride. <laughs> O'Sullivan's a tough guy, though. That should actually be a really good action fight. Sure. Um, and I guess Munguia will see how he feels. But, um, you know, do you really see Munguia taking the fight with Andre? You know, even if he blows out Sullivan, is is Golden Tough Boy fight. gonna take him? Because <laughs> it just Tough seems fight. like the style of Andre is all wrong for Munguia. Yeah, I think Munguia is ripe to getting just lit up by somebody, <laughs> yeah. but I love him. Right, I love. Him. I mean, to me, it's like you're watching Jaws and you're cheering for the shark to win. <laughs> There's just something about him that just com- keeps coming and. Uh, no, I I just really enjoy what makes it. the most sense. Obviously, I mean, Golden Boy has uh, has a piece of Mungia. If Canelo's going to come back down to sixty on you know Cinco de Mayo, I mean, great fight. Alvarez Mungia, holy oh, shit, yeah. that'd, that'd be that amazing. Would, yeah, I'd love to see that. And if I'm Golden Boy, if I'm going to take a chance at any middleweight, especially considering your relationship with Canelo is kind of yeah. souring. You know, Munguia's a young kid. You know, they've seasoned him just enough. Yeah. You know, maybe and it's maybe, fun. Yeah, it's fun and just the optics maybe you for take it. that chance. Yeah, they just as dance partners that you know on posters. You know, talking I mean, about Mexican it, versus Mexican on Cinco awesome. de Mayo. Yeah, and awesome. especially with Munguia, who's a guy who brings it. You know, great fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great that fight. that might be the fight at middleweight. 
That's one I'd like to see. I like that one, too. Yeah. So, let's go to junior middleweight. Um, you know, Jermel Charlo and uh, and Harrison just fought in, in a rematch. And that was a... Re- I thought that was an excellent, excellent fight. It was an obvious grudge match. Both guys were putting a lot of mustard on every shot. You know, um, you know it wasn't like, you know, last time when Harrison just tried to box him. Um, and Charlo, you know, showed. He carries his power late. Um, you know, he, he got Harrison out of there very impressively. So, we're kind of back to... Uh, to uh to square one with you know where we started the year or actually not where we started the year because jared hurt well started 2019 i should say jared hurt was kind of the man Mm -hmm. and then uh and then you saw um you know him get upset by j-rock and then charlo gets upset so you know you now you've got j-rock and charlo um back at the top of the division and you know that's interesting because j rock got knocked out by, you know, his only loss is a knockout loss to uh, Jamal Charlo, to mm. the other twin. So, uh, you know, he would love to get revenge, you would think. And uh, Jamal, of course, you know, wants to unify. Um, and he's, this is a division pretty much, you know, uh, controlled by the PBC. Right. So, uh, and, you know, I think there's probably a good chance we'll see that. I mean, I think, you know, J-Rock's got a fight coming up. Um, a first defense, but usually the sanctioning bodies are pretty cool about if it's unification, they put the the mandatories on hold. So uh, I'd love to see that fight. Yeah, I think that, I think there are some good serviceable fights. I mean, you've still got some crafty contenders in there. Irslandi Lara, I don't know where he figures in, but he's never fun for anybody to fight. <laughs> Although in his older age, and now you know he doesn't yeah. move as much. So no. you know he's kind of getting like Rigo. You know he's planting a little more and making for interesting fights. And still a name for right. somebody to put on their resume. You know you have him ranked at number four, which I think is fair. Uh, yeah, Charlo has one loss in his career, but I mean he's a champion. He avenged it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, it's still an interesting division at play. What's the latest with Kel Brook? What have we heard about him? Kel Brook, I believe they, they've made a comeback fight for him. It's And, and I'm uh, blanking on the opponent. but I, it's, Not Amir Khan? Yeah, it's not Amir Khan, and it's not a major fight. Um, I think it's more of a, you know, shake the rust off type sure. fight. But, uh, I mean, he beats, in, 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 in his last fight, he beat Michael Zarafa, who then went on to upset Jeff Horn. Uh, but Horn then got his revenge, uh, revenge of the Horn, um, in, in his last fight. And you know, both of those were, were really good fights. Um, but a guy who I really like at, at junior middleweight is a guy by the name of uh, Brian Castaño uh, from Argentina, who's a little small for the weight, but just really good hand speed. Good power. He fought Lara to a draw mm. um, during the year. So he's, he's obviously a real world-class guy. I'd love to see him get in the mix, either fighting Hurd, um, who's also coming back at the weight, which a lot of people are surprised at because he's so huge. Mm. But he says he's coming back, and he's coming back at 54. Um, you know, um, so yeah, like you said, you got Castaño, you've got Lara, you've got Hurd, you've got Charlo, you've got... Uh, J-Rock, you've got Tony Harrison, who, it's you know... Tough fighter. Yeah, who... I had him ahead uh, going into that 11th round against Charlo, so he's obviously uh, world-class. So, you know, a lot, a lot of great fights to be made, and let's hope, to, you know, we do see J-Rock and uh, Jamel Charlo uh, in a unifier. Yeah, they're definitely the ones that I think most fans want to see. So, right, yeah. right. Class of the division. Then we get to... 
the premier division in, in, in boxing, the welterweight division. Um, so many questions and so, so many ways this can go. Um, you know, we, we, the guy who I have number one is Errol Spence. He unified. He deserves to be there. Um, you know, I mean, it's really going to depend on on how he is physically, right? I mean, and, and how he looks in, in his first comeback fight. You're hoping that he's not affected by the car accident, but we just don't know. Well, he just fucking evil Knieveled <laughs> out of a goddamn <laughs> Ferrari drunk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. All I can think of is he had to have fallen asleep at the wheel. Or was texting? Could be texting, too, yeah. I guess we, we'll just never know. I mean, just in my own experience with drunk people driving in cars yeah. when I was young, most most of the time when we had a really big scare, it was because it's 3 in the morning and someone's really drunk and they're tired and they fall asleep at the wheel. But who knows? Well, I mean, and I'm not going to expect. I have no idea what happened. So. No, <laughs> no. I mean, he may be visited by the Mothman prophecies, and <laughs> who knows? Maybe a rabbit ran out in front. I mean, you don't know what happened. But regardless, just really, really glad that it wasn't worse. It, he, there's no two ways about it. Like 90 percent of the people in that accident, probably even more than that, oh, yeah. die. Oh yeah. Die. If he was belted up, he probably would have died. Oh, no question, because the car was totaled. So, you know, somebody been... up there likes him. Yeah, so, I mean, all those people <laughs> telling you to not smoke cigarettes and to wear your safety belt. I think Errol Spence can safely, like anybody who's anti-safety belts, which most of America was when they implemented Absolutely. that. Uh, you know, he's a throwback fighter. Right. He's a throwback American in terms of, you know, he's anti-Ralph Nader and consumer protections. <laughs> And you have to give, you know, not a lot of people are, are willing to champion those kind of causes. That's right. That's right. You know, that's right. He, he tweeted after, you know, or not tweeted, I think he put on Instagram, you know, horrible act. I don't even, I'm butchering the quote, but something about, I'm a savage. You know, basically, He's I survived savage. that. <laughs> no, no, no. And I mean, any anybody, any libertarian who is for, you know, absolutely get wasted. Right, Get, no helmet laws no on motorcycles. Helmet. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Busey gets in a massive accident where his entire face is reconstructed <laughs> and is like at the forefront, the tip of the spear of not wearing a helmet for motorcycling. <laughs> Spence can be that for drinking and driving. There you go. You know, you. yeah. You. So, no, on a serious note, it is a complete fucking miracle he's right. alive. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how the hell he can recover from just what we saw of right. the video of that accident. Right. Maybe he can. Right. But uh, you have to think that will affect him pretty profoundly. Right. You know, as it would anybody. Yeah, yeah. Like, they re I mean, he was on, you know, the, the broadcast talking about, you know, I'm coming back in May. Bullshit. You know, now they're saying maybe June. Says he's already back in the gym. I mean, obviously, PBC, knowing, you know, Arrow's potential and, and, and ability um, and star power, um, they're going to, you know, exercise all due caution in, in bringing him back and making sure that he's that he's you know 100 or close as close to 100 percent as he could be um you know i can't imagine that they're going to give him something tough coming back but looking on the bright side let's let's hope that he's he came out of it as unscathed as as perhaps as he's he's saying and that uh you know it's not going to really adversely affect his career and he's an extraordinary fighter uh you know arguably 
Number one pound for pound, definitely top three pound for pound. I mean, you got to put them in, in, in top ten, you know, probably top five. I yeah, mean, I think so. Yeah. I mean, just the eyeball test at times. I, I mean, I and also... unified in like the, you know, one of the toughest divisions yeah. in the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't think he looked his best, certainly, against Sean Porter. I think there was a lot more struggle to that than we assumed. Um, or hoped for. I was hoping he'd separate himself a little more. I did, yeah, I did too. And I mean, I think with a fighter that has a reputation for greatness, you seek it right. when they're challenged. You want to see it. You want to see greatness. You want to see it. And we didn't. Right. Right. You know, we didn't. We saw somebody. We saw very good. We saw very good. We saw very brave. We saw very tough. But we saw some struggle against an opponent that I think most people would view as a B plus or A minus fighter. Mm. Mm. And, um, you know, that's not. That's not where yeah, who Cal Brook and Keith Thurman both beat, you know, um, right. and uh, you know a guy who a lot of people, you know, were thinking that Errol was going to knock him out. Yeah, and, and I think <laughs> and Spence is in that rare position where, you know, the the I, the thought the dream fight of him and Terrence Crawford is kind of this, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for boxing to make a more exciting, fun fight than right. the two of those guys right. coming together undefeated, the top of their games in their prime, depending on whether or not Spence has recovered right. from this. Um, even though politically it's a really tough fight to make happen. But not impossible. But if they impossible. can make Wilder Fury, they can make Spence Yep. Porter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, Spence Croft. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, Crawford, Crawford is in a very rarefied place. You could argue that we were looking for greatness in his last fight and saw... Not as much as we were right, hoping for. Some cracks in the armor, yeah. Some cracks yeah. in the armor got dropped. Got dropped by a fought to a draw with Ray Robinson. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, these are the interesting things in boxing is the styles can bring out something that, right. that we go, Oh, is this the real him? Right. Or, you know, what we've seen before is the real him. Because we're only seeing these guys twice a year. Yeah. yeah if you if you have a down performance, you know, your stock goes down. Yeah, it definitely goes down. Yeah. So it's an interesting spot. Pacquiao put on one of the great signature fights of his career against yes. Keith Thurman. Yes. So what's next for him? Probably well, not Floyd Mayweather, but I would sure <laughs> enjoy it if it was. Right. Well, it's interesting if it's not Floyd, though. Yeah, that's Because true. I believe that this is his last fight for the PBC. You know, I'm sure if the PBC can make it, they're going to try and make the fight with Mayweather. It's too much money. Right, because it, it, it's... Pretty obvious he doesn't want any piece of Errol Spence. No. So if you've only got one fight left with him and, and you know, as the chess pieces move on the board, Eddie Hearn beat them to Mikey Garcia so you don't have the Mikey Garcia fight. Um, I don't know that Pacquiao really wants to fight Danny Garcia. I don't know that anyone's really interested in that fight. Yeah. Um, so what do you do with Pacquiao if you're PBC? Who do you match with if he won't fight Spence and you can't get Mayweather? And you obviously can't get Mikey Garcia at this point in time. Do you think that given the accident that Spence endured, that maybe Pacquiao has some added incentive? Being very cynical is going to yeah. try and take advantage well, and, of and, and I think even as senator, a senator in the Philippines could start some kind of initiative or launch legislation to create like an MFDD, like Mothers for Drinking and Driving, <laughs> where Spence could be a sort of president of – no – I I I don't want to see Pacquiao fight Spence if Spence is a hundred percent or right. even ninety five percent. I right. think it's a terrible fight for Pacquiao. Right, right. 
really, really bad, I think Spence would just drill him into the ground. But I kind of thought Thurman would beat his ass too. Right, right. I know that, that's the thing when when you're thinking about it. When you're doing like the A fights B and B fights C and C fights A, you're like, wow, you know. I mean, geez, Porter and and Thurman were pretty much neck and neck, and you know, Thurman won that on a split decision. Pacquiao and Thurman were kind of neck and neck, but Pacquiao won it. Yeah. Then Porter fights Spence, and that goes to a split decision, and. <laughs> So it's like you're like you know there's not maybe there's not as much separating these guys as as we once thought maybe Pacquiao it. Spence is more competitive than we think it could I mean who knows I I mean Danny Garcia I would enjoy watching against Pacquiao and Danny's not out of the mix no he's lost two close fights to Porter Thurman so. I'd like to see Danny Garcia I'd like to see Terence Crawford dismantle Danny Garcia I think that'd be <laughs> exciting. Yeah, it, it looks like, you know, it's funny because I guess Porter and Crawford are friends and, and you know, PBC has now stated that they're willing to have Porter across the street and fight Crawford. Mm-hmm. But they interview Crawford about it and he's just like, nah, I'm not really interested in that one. You know, I don't really want to fight Sean Porter, um, which is interesting. It is. Yeah. And then Mikey Garcia is poking his head into this division. Well, yeah, yeah. He's, he's going to fight Jesse Vargas, apparently. Jesse, yeah. So. And I think I think the grand plan, you know, the the move here, is that he does a one fight deal, right, with the zone, which seems really stupid, right? But they take an option, mm. or a right to match, or or whatever they're going to have. Probably an option for his next fight. They get yeah. an option for his next fight. And Pacquiao's only got one fight left on that PBC contract. Right. So the move is like, all right, you know, hopefully they'll, you know, Pacquiao gets through that that fight, the last fight of the PBC contract. Right. Um. And then, you know, then the zone can make Pacquiao, Mikey Garcia. That'd be fun. <laughs> I would watch it. I think it's an interesting fight. Right, right. Absolutely. Of, of all the fights, that would that was the one most people thought was going to happen with Pacquiao. Uh, for his last fight for the yeah. BBC, but now... But let, him, let him fight a littler guy. Right, for, right. For once. And it would seem like it's a better fight at welterweight for Mikey Garcia, too. Yeah. Pacquiao being a smaller welterweight. Yeah. So. No, I think that's it. That's a fun fight. And an interesting matchup, skill-wise. Right, Right. I guess with Crawford, um, you know, I think the only fights available to him, should he not take on Sean Porter, are going to come from guys in the junior welterweight division. I think top ranks either going to have to... uh, I mean, they have a deal with uh, MTK, Mm -hmm. who signed Josh Taylor, the guy who won the World Boxing Super Series at 140. And he's a big 140. Yeah. So we'll see if he's ballsy enough to move, not just move up to 47, but to fight Terrence Crawford in his first fight at 47. Top ring has uh, Jose Ramirez, who, uh, you know, and this is what's interesting. You know, at, at, at junior welterweight, you have two guys who are unified champions. So of the four belts, two guys each have two. Right. So logically, you'd like to see Josh Taylor and, and Jose Ramirez fight to, to unify and, and have one chance. Sure. But it looks like, uh, you know, in the search for an opponent for Crawford, top rank is probably either going to have Ramirez or Taylor fight Crawford next, I would think. Right. Um, which kind of leaves 140 wide open. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a fun place to be, as you say. Two unified right. champions, both on. Under- Undefeated. And of course, Ramirez could go up and then come back down too. That that too, yeah. If he's not successful, yeah. So I yeah, I think that's the play. And I mean, Victor Postal is is still in the mix, but uh, 
it's not a flashy division at the moment. Right, right. Yeah, I think Postal was was scheduled to fight Ramirez uh, in a mandatory. Um, so, you know, either Ramirez moves up and doesn't take that fight, or, yeah, Postal Ramirez is a good fight. Um, you know, and, and Regis Progre, who lost in that very close fight to Josh Taylor. I mean, obviously, he's a guy who could move up to 47 or stay at 40 and, 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 and try and get, you know, get his uh, titles back. So three really good fighters at the top there, Taylor, Ramirez, and Progre. Postal's a, a competitive guy. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Mo Hooker's going to stay at 140, which doesn't seem possible because the guy's like six feet tall. Yeah, what a weird... <laughs> I don't know how some of these guys maintain that weight class, yeah. being the size they are. Absolutely, absolutely, but... But yeah, it seems like you know either either Ramirez and Taylor fight each other in what would be the the ultimate fight at, at 140 for all four belts, or they move up to 47 and and challenge the uh, more pound for pound type guys and where know, the money is right, right where the really big money is. Yeah. So that's interesting. So yeah, we just blew through the junior welterweight division. Lightweight. This is a fun one. To me, this is like one of the most fun divisions if it could just stay the way it is for a little while longer in 2020 because you've got not only Lomachenko and Lopez, um, you know, in, in what should be a super clash for, okay. I guess it, I guess it's not for all four belts because Lomachenko is now the franchise champion in WBC, franchise. which is a, it's a title you can't lose in the ring. So fuck you, WBC, a for coming up with such a deeming pile of horseshit. <laughs> But still, I, I think it's you know you can you can safely say that you know the two best lightweights in the world and and well maybe not the two best but the two guys who deserve to be one and two sure. uh, Lomachenko and Tiafimo Lopez are going to uh, engage in a super fight. But I mean, when you look at you know Gervonta Davis, who you know I'd love to see him in with either Lopez or hundred percent and Devin Haney. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> super talented kid. Um, those four guys are, are pretty much the cream of the crop at 35, and you it would be it would ideal if they stuck around for a year or two and all fought each other. I don't see that happening, and that Lopez is already saying he's outgrown the division. Haney's pretty much saying the same thing. Um, but yeah, man, this this you know if in a perfect world 2020 would would have at least you know two or three fights between all those guys. Well, I mean, I mean, I think that there's an unlikely path here for Uriorki's Gamboa to knock out Davis, <laughs> get a shot with Lopez, knock him out. Yes. And then unify, well, also knock out Devin Haney and then go with Lomachenko for the unification. There you go. There you go. There you go. You know, and, re- and realize his potential. Yeah, yes. and avenge Guillermo <laughs> Rigondeaux's loss to Lomachenko. That's right. And call out that it's all for me because <laughs> of my pride being so wounded being ringside for that. No, I love that. I think this is my favorite division to watch, like this cast of characters. Uh, you know, Lomachenko is absolutely must-see. Teofilo Lopez, Fimo Lopez is thrilling. Also must-see. Must-see. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely one of my favorite fighters. I can't wait to watch him and Lomachenko. Gervonta Davis while we have him <laughs> yeah. without his extracurricular fun um, is a lot of fun to watch in the ring. Explosive fighter. Yeah. Super explosive, totally volatile. I don't think we're going to have him for long. He might be sort of our generation's 
answer to uh, who's that Venezuelan champion? Who, oh no, I don't think he's going to be that too extreme. <laughs> yeah, that's too extreme. Too extreme. Well, <laughs> a, a, a decaffeinated, sugar-free. <laughs> I don't even think he's. I mean, he's, he's had a few run-ins, but I don't even think he's as bad as Broner. I, I, I think I think he's he's young, and hopefully he'll he'll uh, you know smarten up. I, I think he's at his more natural weight class now too. Yeah. Um, and Lomachenko wants to fight it. I just really hope if, if Lomachenko gets past Lopez, and that's definitely not guaranteed. No, <laughs> Lopez. Is no, an these guys are dangerous. Talent. These guys are dangerous. But yeah, if 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 Lomachenko beat Lopez and fought Gervonta Davis in 2020, yeah, I'm all for that. Oh, I'm no. all for that. <laughs> no, these these guys. There's so much skill and just just the array of skill sets. And how they'll match up, I just think it's it's, it's the most exciting division in the sport. For yeah, me. yeah, because you, I mean, young talents, you know, maybe, you know, I wouldn't say Lopez and Haney are in their prime. Probably Davis isn't even in his prime. Glomachenko is in his prime. Yep. I wouldn't say he's quite past. He's still in his in his prime. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, getting into his thirties though. But yeah, man, let, let, let's hope that we see uh, at least one or two of those fights with those guys uh, fighting each other. Yeah. Junior lightweights. Junior lightweights are also you look at you look at who's in who's in the top ten. You're like, damn, you can make some good fights, man. Lots of fun. Yeah, I mean Burchelt and Leo Santa Cruz and Carl Frampton and and you know uh, Jojo Diaz and you know even Tevin Farmer. You know yeah. who's, who's hanging around there. I mean, and uh, and a guy who I think is has not come onto the uh, the radar in the U.S. and he's another Eastern European kid, but this uh, Rakimov. Uh, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce that for first name. No, we'll just call him Shavka. Shavka yeah. Rashka. <laughs> this this guy is, has been putting people out in in, in Eastern Europe, and, and and I cannot wait till he finally uh, until he finally, or maybe Asia. I don't know where you know where he's fighting. I'd have to look on Boxrec, but dude is is the real deal, and I I can't wait for you know someone to 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 grab him and bring him to the states and put him in there with a Burchelt or a. A Santa Cruz or, or you know somebody, but um, it seems like I mean Carl Frampton just got injured, but they're talking about putting him in with Jamal Herring for uh, the WBO title. So good fight, yeah, that's a good fight. You know, if he gets a title, that'd be great. I mean, I, you know, I, I I hope the I hope that Farmer Jojo Diaz is done. It's kind of been on again, off again. Yeah, that's a really good fight. Um, Burchelt against anybody is a good fight. I yeah, love why like, he's like a middleweight, you know, uh, packing down to 130. He seems like another guy who could move up to 35 and, and make that a even big more. Guy. Yeah. Big guy for his weight. Right. I think, he, you know, they're, they're lining him up to fight Oscar Valdez, who huh. uh, just almost got beat in his last fight. But uh, feather undefeated featherweight, you know, Mexican Olympian coming up. That's a great fight. So... A lot of really good fights in this division. This, this honestly, you know, in a perfect world, this would be the perfect division for like a world boxing super series to have. Absolutely, this is like more than eight guys who are interesting in this division yeah. who you could put in a tournament. That's a good call, and yeah, they could use the increased visibility from something like that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Huh. Yeah, Leo Santa Cruz to me is like kind of the most disappointing. I mean, after that win in the in the rematch with uh, Carl Frampton, it's just like. Who the fuck has he fought? You know, he's just yeah. like falling off the radar, hasn't really challenged himself. You know, people were really looking forward to him maybe fighting Gary Russell Jr. That never happened. 
Um, you know, just a little disappointing. Hopefully at one thirty, you know, now he's won whatever. They put him in with some guy who didn't deserve a shot at the title. They gave him a belt at one thirty, So he's got that now. Yeah. Legacy secure. Come on, fight somebody, Leo. I mean, I love Leo Santa Cruz. I do too. <laughs> but no, it's just the foot off the Him gas. and shout would be a fucking Great amazing fight. Great fight. Yeah. Great fight. But I mean, yeah, Gary Russell, I mean, what an odd career he's had. <laughs> kind of unprecedented in a certain way, right? Like just... Tourism once a year. Yeah, just tourism. Right. I mean, he, you know, he's had a few interesting fights. I mean, obviously the Lomachenko fight was was, was the most interesting, and, yeah. and he lost that one. Um, the fight with Jojo Diaz was a hell of a fight. Yep. Really interesting fight. But other than that, you know, not not a lot of interesting uh, fights, and and you know, he just seems to be content to fight once a year. He actually has an, another interesting mandatory. Um, He's going to fight uh, Tug uh, Nyambar, uh, who's a great amateur from Mongolia and as a pro has been pretty impressive. I would, if Gary's on his game, he should win that fight. Mm -hmm. But Tug can punch and he can fight. He's got real amateur pedigree. That's a competitive fight. That's an interest. That's a Gary Russell fight I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. Which every couple of years, he engages in that one fight that's interesting for a year. He's got great skills. But yeah, he yeah, really does. Just a bizarre. I mean, how long can he keep doing this? Yeah. It just sucks. I mean, listen, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's going to live his, you know, Gary's going to do Gary. You know, yep. he's, he's going to live his life and, and take the fights he wants. But it just seems like a waste of uh, that ability and, and a world title. Oh, amazing and, ability. Yeah, to just fight once a year and, and, and not strive to, to unify and, and have a legacy. And at the same time now, like, he is the guy that Lomachenko beat. Yeah. Like, like all his achievements are secondary to right. that fact. Right, right. For most boxing fans. Yeah, exactly. So. The, the one major fight he took, he, you know, gave a gallon effort, but he was clearly outclassed. Josh Warrington is is one of those overachiever types who was kind of lucky to keep his title in uh, 2019. A lot of people thought, I mean, it wasn't the most exciting fight, but against uh, Kid Galahad, uh, which, you know, was a you know, kind of shitty Elvis movie that this guy's named him after, <laughs> named himself after. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, that was a decent fight. Um, Warrington, you know, a lot of people were hoping that, I mean, he did beat Carl Frampton. Um, and, and prove that, that, that he's legit. At 126, he was hoping to get a unification fight. Didn't look like it was going to happen, but, you know, maybe Shakur Stevenson. Shakur's not afraid of anybody in this division. He's willing to fight uh, Josh Warrington. I hope they, that, that, that they can make that one. That's I like Shakur fight. Stevenson, but I feel like he came into the sport with a lot of shine, a lot of momentum, and I feel like... A lot of attention. A lot of attention. It's a little bit harder to be sort of a season ticket pass holder him than it was yeah he's a guy who's content to box and not excite you know i mean it would be nice if he had that instinct of closing the show he's got great skills yeah and and you know i you know i i came up with the phrase generation counterpuncher uh yeah a lot of these guys who just don't know how to fucking lead yep you know they they're just content to 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 wait for the other guy i mean i just and watching Shakur, I really got frustrated because he was in there with a guy who clearly he, he was bigger and stronger than and faster than. But because the other guy was just fainting and not leading, Shakur wasn't throwing any punches. Like, dude, you get into exchange with this guy, I bet you're going to win it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his hand speed is <laughs> Your hand speed's crazy fast. I yeah. bet you hurt him if you hit him. Yeah. But you got to stick your nose in there, man. You got to trust your skills. 
Trusters in the next fight, he gets in there. You know, he sticks his nose in, throws when the other guys throw, and gets into an exchange. First round knockout. Yeah. You now he's got all the skills to be a great fighter. Right. He's an A. Develop those skills. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. I think there's a risk there that there's the potential to be an A level fighter. But there's also a risk of him ending up a B or C plus level fighter because mm. there are some liabilities there that he doesn't have the tenacity necessary to develop, mm. you know, and realize that potential. And if he gets used to, you know, fighting shittier opponents, like they, I think there, some, think he could become like the next Howard Davis. Although he's already got a belt because they give him out like candy, but, right? But like Howard Davis was a, you know, Howard Davis had a gold medal, was the most outstanding boxer at the 1976 Olympics. Ton of hand speed, ton yeah. of potential, but never won a title because, you know, didn't have a great chin and never really developed into anything yeah. more than a outside boxer, you know? I just wonder, like, are they going to match him up a little tougher? Are they going to, once they move him up into sort of elite level competition, where's he going to Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, he's, he's expressed a desire for the Warrington fight. Uh, I think that would be probably... I think it's a really good fight for him because you look Warrington in 30 fights only has seven knockouts. I agree. He's a rough, tough, strong guy, Warrington, and, yeah. and a very accurate inside puncher. But, you know, if, if Shakur's going to box, um, I think he beats Warrington pretty easy. I think you're right. <laughs> I, mean, I think it'd be interesting. Shakur and, and Gary Russell Jr., I think, would be kind of an interesting fight. Well, that would be a hell of a fight, but yeah. I don't... I They'll never do it. Shocked. Yeah, never do it. If Gary Russell's people would ever even entertain that fight. So, um, but you're right. I mean, in all honesty, you know, in, in, in a normal world that's where fighters really wanted to be the best and wanted to fight each other, that's a natural. Yeah. You got two U.S. Olympians undefeated in the same weight class with blazing hand speed. Yeah. That's a great fight. Yeah. Make that one happen. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Fight the fights, fighters. Yeah. But, uh... You know, the guy who's my favorite fighter in this division, I can't leave this division uh, uh, without mentioning him. And, uh, you know, I, I guess yeah, I've seen it can Ju and Ju can. Most times they say mm -hmm. Ju can. So, yeah. This dude, like, throws over 100 punches around. Um, my favorite all time fighter was a Philly middleweight by the name of Frank the Animal Fletcher. And his Man. whole strategy was just to go out and wing fucking shots until you fell. Um, Kanju can't break an egg with a hammer, but motherfucker's going to throw punches. If you're still standing, he's going to keep throwing. And I fucking love this guy to uh. death. He's one of my favorite fighters. Uh, the two fights he had last year were both fight of the year candidates just because he throws a million and one punches. Yeah. So him against anybody at featherweight, I'm tuning in because I love this guy. And uh, now he's got, you know, a, a, a BA belt. You know, throw him in there with Shakur. Throw him in there with War. Oh, him and Warrington would be a great fight. Fucking awesome fight. He's a Golden Boy fighter, so yeah, I don't know uh, if he can get in on any uh, PBC fighters or uh, top rank ESPN fighters. But let's hope. I mean, of all those major guys, like Golden Boy, you know, say what you want about Oscar. Say what you want about them, but damn it, they make fights. Yep. And they make good fights. They will get their prospects beat. They don't give a fuck. They are just into making good fights. And I'd love to see Kanju in there, you know, in, in a big fight uh, against somebody because it's going to be interesting. 
I gotta watch some more of him. Yeah, man. I gotta watch some more of him. Check that dude out, cause he is fun. He is fun. So all right, we're gonna we're gonna maybe take it down to bantamweight, you know. But uh, junior featherweights, um, you know, Emmanuel Navarrete beat the living shit out of Isaac Dogbe twice uh, this year, and Daniel Roman, who's 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 unified champ. I mean, he was in one of the fights of the year against the the Irishman uh, T.J. Doheny. Uh, real good, you know, come forward for. I mean, this division is definitely ripe for some unification fights. I mean, Ray Vargas has made a bunch of defenses. You know, Navarrete's made a bunch of defenses now. Roman is is unified. Um, and, you know, none of these guys are stars. So, you know, it's you can make these fights and you're not going to break the bank to do it. So, uh, you know, and and Iwasa and, uh, just, just won, you know, Somehow the fight was on a on, on the PBC network, and he won, uh, you know, an IBF interim title. Uh, so he's probably going to fight Ramon next, which should be interesting. But uh, Brandon Figueroa um, is is a fighter who uh, who I really thought um, who I still think a lot of, but he got stuck, you know, on on the uh, Wilder Ortiz undercard fighting a guy who came in four and a half pounds overweight in yeah. uh, Julio Ceja. That was a hell of a fight, though. Amazing fight. It was a hell of a fight, and, and Figueroa got all he could handle, and uh, you know got got lucky to come out of there with the draw. But I would I would love to see Figueroa in the mix against any of those guys. That was a fun fight, totally yeah. unexpected brawl. Yeah, PBC has another young guy in Stevie Fulton from from Philadelphia, who's like you can't help but root for him because he's fought at least four or five undefeated guys. Like they have not fed him any like gimmies, and he's just he just wins. So PBC has him. I know they've been talking about maybe putting uh, Fulton and Figueroa together. To me, it's like no one's going to care about the fight because you know they're neither of them are big stars. But you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe you just do it and try and create a star out of it. You know. Um, but yeah, to me, Navarrete, Vargas, Roman, you got to have at least you know some mix of those guys fighting in 2020. It's another division ripe for a tournament. Yes. Fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cuz all these guys have great records, relatively high knockout percentages. I think there's just And they're super, exciting fighters. And they're exciting yeah, fighters. Yeah, I mean, he's just a search and destroy guy. Roman's a short aggressor. You know, Vargas is unusually tall for the weight but doesn't fight tall. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he he likes to to brawl and obviously Figueroa loves to brawl too, so Definitely some great fights to be made at 22. Let's hope we see uh, unification, more unification. Yeah, I guess we'll, 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 we'll stop short here at the Bantamweights. We won't go all the way down to strawweight. I don't want to, you know, prolong this. But uh, obviously the man at, at, at Bantamweight is, uh, yeah, Inui. I mean, Inui oh, yeah. is, is one of the most exciting fighters in the sport. I guess we'll now see him stateside. Now the top rank has signed him. Um the one fight that we all wanted to see him against Lewis Neary, I just don't see it happening because Neary once again missed bantamweight for the second time in a major fight. Yeah, so disappointing. He's a guy. Yeah, him against anyone at twenty two, I would love to see yeah, that. Amazing. If they want to put Brandon Figueroa in there with Neary, oh my amazing. god, that'd be a great fight. But Donaire's renewed. Yeah, you know, I'd love to see a Donaire Randy Al rematch for one thing. <laughs> Well, Donaire looks like the the WBC made him number one, and they're gonna like he could fight Ubali, who's a guy who's emerged as as a major player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, won the title, and then he beat Anui's uh, brother on the Anui Donaire uh, undercard. So yeah, yeah, and you got Rigo, 
um, you know, who's moving down. Uh, you know, that, that fight was scheduled and then it got uh, rescheduled. He's going to fight Laverio Solis, I think, for a vacant title. So you got Rigo at 118. Um, got the kid who just knocked out Zolani Tete, uh, you know, John Real uh, Casemiro. Um, heavy puncher, yeah. guy who just every shot he wings is is a heavy shot. Yeah, huge puncher. So bantamweight, man. I mean, I know we just did a tournament, but you know, like, but like these are fun. Tete got injured and was out of it. Barnett got injured. You know, I mean, there, you know, Ubali wasn't even in it. Casemiro wasn't in it. Rigo wasn't in it. You've got, you know, and, and I think also just, I mean, a new a. No matter who he's fighting, he's must watch. It doesn't matter right. who he's fighting. Absolutely. Donaire is now pretty much must watch right. with that performance because where did that come from? Right. Uh, Rigandau has transformed into the greatest Mexican fighter of all time <laughs> with his last fight where he now has no defense and just wants to stand in a photo booth and brawl. Right. So, you know, I appreciate that he left Cuba for Miami to then become a Mexican fighter at 40 years old. <laughs> and the 40-year-old Rigo is must-see. So, I mean, <laughs> I'd like to see the 40-year-old Mexican Rigo fight Donaire. Yeah, great. right, right. I mean, Rigo Anui, would you would, – would you? Oh. I mean, are you scared for Rigo now? And then? I'm very scared for my Rigo. <laughs> no, don't hurt him. But, uh, but at the same time – Rigo fucked up Donaire, something pretty awful in New York at Radio City Music Hall six years ago. And Donaire, six years later, gave Inoue everything he could handle. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see Rigandau in Inoue. I mean, I'm scared for Rigandau <laughs> because, you know, 75-year-old Rigandau <laughs> – who also was at, you know, the Spanish-American War in 1898, <laughs> according to some of his critics. General Rigo. Yeah. <laughs> General Rigo. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, is getting a little long in the tooth. Yeah. But sure. uh, the guy can still just fucking... Still got that bazooka for a left hand. Bazooka. Uh, thrown defense, apparently, is of no necessity <laughs> exactly. at this stage in the game. We don't worry about defense anymore. No. we. I mean, you guys you guys had enough of it. You <laughs> right, whined about right. it endlessly. Right, right. So uh, it's time to just stand there and not move against any any old journeyman. So I would imagine <laughs> he'll do the same thing with Japan and Japan's WBA IBF champion. So I'd love to see that. But I, but first, I'd like to see... I mean, even a Donaire Inoue rematch would be fantastic. Yes, 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 absolutely. Although a lot of people are just kind of like, that might have been Donaire's like last stand. I don't know if Could we be. can see that again, but I wouldn't mind seeing it again. It'll be interesting to see what, you know, Donaire does against uh, Ubali. I could see Ubali winning that fight, though. Ubali's just very difficult style, really good amateur, lefty, um, you know, kind of a, a guy who jumps in and out, you know, just difficult style. You know, when he throws, he throws everything in combination, very heavy. So yeah. It's kind of hard to counter. Um, difficult style. I think he, he could give Anui some serious problems. I think more likely what we're going to see in 2020, because uh, Casemiro, I believe, is a guy who Sean Gibbons has some involvement with. And Sean is tight. You know, he used to work for Top Rank. So mm. I think what we might see is Anui and Casemiro, which I think is a bombs away fight and, and, and right. a great fight. 
Um, and obviously, uh, Donaire is the number one contender. If he still wants to keep going, him and Ubali, that's that's a great fight. Yep. And shit, let's see the winners of, of those two fights get in there and fight each other. Oh, Anuwe is just, I think he's my favorite fighter right now. Yeah. Active yeah. Fighter. Yeah, like and, and, he, and he showed what you wanted to see in that fight with an army. Bro- Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Broken orbital bone, broken nose, and no problem. You know, let's yeah. keep fighting. Let's keep gunning for the knockout. Let's, you know, let, let's brawl. And, uh, you know, Donaire brought out the best in him. And uh, you saw that, you know, he, he's, he, can, he can take it. And, uh, and he can go 12. And, I mean, it, it, it probably raised Rigo in the top 10 standings. <laughs> by, like, he's in, he entered the top 10. Because That's people, right. He just, that Donaire pulled him yeah. off from six years ago. <laughs> we still believe in Rigo. The sequel... To the biography <laughs> is coming, Rigo, as long as you can beat Inoue for me. That's right. And 16 more readers can read it from the first. <laughs> Return of the Rigo. Return of the Rigo. The yes. Rigo Strikes Back from Mexico. <laughs> Mexico. The pride of Mexico. There you go. Rigo. He is now fighting Mexican style. Regandale, So Good God. All right, my man. On that note, we will uh, we will conclude our uh, look ahead to 2020. And once again, Bryn, you know, thank you very much. Thank for, you for stopping by and uh, you know providing your wisdom uh, on, on what's what's ahead. Look forward to 2020. All right, my man. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast, presented by the Ring and RingTV.com, and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. I'd like to thank Bryn Jonathan Butler for taking the time out to speak with me. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it. It helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that features quotes and background on my interview with Bryn. And until next time, so long, everybody. What you was looking for?